0: Copyright Royalty Board, or CRB, recently announced their intention to increase the mechanical royalty rate for both physical and digital sales. This is a decision that will have an effect on everyone who has ever or will ever write a song that gets sold either physically or digitally, as well as the people who sell that music. Welcome to the future of what? I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. On today's episode, we're going to unpack this CRB decision which is great news for publishers and songwriters, but not an entirely unmixed blessing for the industry as a whole. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can
1: I have a taste of your ice cream?
0: My guest today is Colin Rushing. He is the former General Counsel at Sound Exchange and a current consultant and advisor focusing on music rights and royalties. Colin, welcome to the Future of What?
1: Thank you. Really glad to be here.
0: Happy, happy, happy to have you, especially since we're talking about such a weird topic that everybody needs to know about but probably people don't understand.
1: Yeah, that's like that's like my sweet spot, honestly.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Who's going to explain this? Call Colin. Okay, perfect. So let's, let's just try to get into this in like a, a, an, an easy way. So some people in, in our industry may have seen that the mechanical royalty rates were increased by the Copyright Royalty Board. So I think the first thing we need to explain is that there is a Copyright Royalty Board. We don't have to get super into it. It is uh, three judges, correct, correct, appointed by the Librarian of Congress. Yep. and then they determine the mechanical royalty rate. Now, this is where we have to pause. Can you go ahead and explain to us what the mechanical royalty rate is, and also the fact that it has, it's different for physical and streaming.
1: Yeah, I, I will do this the best I can, um, and I'll. The starting point. I actually like to start with the origin of the word mechanical, but I'm gonna try to spend a minute or less on that because okay. I think people get sort of hung up on sometimes, like what on earth does that even mean? Right. When we're talking <laughs> about a mechanical copy and the mechanical license in the context of music, what you're really talking about is the reproduction of the composition, the lyrics and the music and a form readable by a machine. And they used the word mechanical because it dates back, honestly, to the time of piano rolls. Mm-hmm. there is this old, 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 like 19th century, early 20th century like law, basically Supreme Court precedent that said, if something was in a form, if music was in a form that was only readable by a machine, then it wasn't subject to copyright protection. So Congress fixed that in 1909, but then at the same time created a government license to set the rates for when uh, basically piano rolls were copied or were made. And so that's the origin of the concept of a mechanical royalty. And it's carried forward through to the present because t- any time you have this reproduction of music in a machine readable form that sort of triggers this concept of a mechanical royalty. So that includes records. It also includes downloads. It also includes streaming. I'm going to put an asterisk by streaming. We'll come back to it later in terms of the rates because streaming also implicates performance rates. We'll come back to that later. So when we're talking about mechanicals, we're talking about a royalty rate set by the government, now by the Copyright Royalty Board, for the reproduction of songs, either in physical format or in digital format. So that's the the starting point. So where does that leave us now? So in these copyright royalty board proceedings, starting about 15 years ago, the, the proceedings were combined. There was a single proceeding to set mechanical royalty rates but they were in practice really split into two. And that's because the people that pay the mechanical royalty rates are different depending upon what type of format you're talking about. So originally and historically it was the labels that would pay the mechanical royalty rate for physical reproductions, records, tapes, CDs, downloads.
0: And who do they pay, who do they pay it to?
1: That's it, and they would pay it to the publisher, where, you know, whoever owns the underlying composition. And so that was the model that had been in existence forever. And I'm glad you asked that question. You know, this is one of the, 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 the things that sometimes people new to the music industry um, can rapidly get confused by, is the industry's really got these two sort of parts that grew very much in parallel. You have publishers that, going back to the 19th century, were in the business of publishing music, originally sheet music. And then you had record labels, which really began in the middle of the 20th century, which are in the business of, of distributing recorded music. And honestly, because of the weird way copyright law works, these two businesses are are operated often separately. And so record labels would have to pay publishers for the permission to include their songs in the recordings they were distributing. So they would pay that in the form of the mechanical royalty.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: With the advent of streaming, the model shifted a little bit. Mm -hmm. Actually, not a little bit, shifted in a big way. Historically, the labels had taken on this responsibility of paying the publishers for the distributions of songs and the recordings. With streaming, the model changed, and instead, the streaming services were paying the publishers directly. So if you're Spotify, you are paying the record label for the recordings, but then you're paying the publisher for the song. Mm -hmm. for the composition
0: right and i think it's important to point out for people who don't understand that depending you know in in many cases an artist a songwriter is in fact their own publisher so there are uh you know there are major owned publishing companies there are independently owned publishing companies and there are publishing companies that are basically owned by the songwriter him or herself themselves and so This, when the CRB increased the rates recently, this was really heralded as like a big victory for publishers and songwriters. So this was something that was seen as very positive. It's going to give them an amount of money per transaction if it's a physical sale um, that is larger than the amount of money that it's been for forever. And, And so this was, you know, this in terms of songwriters and publishers is very positive.
1: Yes, that's right. And glad you made that point about the vocabulary as well. You know, the artist is to the record label, as the songwriter, is to the publisher. And and I'll often use those terms interchangeably when talking about the royalties, but then that falls apart in terms of how the, sometimes, you know, in terms of the distribution piece. But legally, those are the, the creative works and the, the, the relation you know the the roles and the rights relationships that exist so what happened and recently in the copyright royalty board and the decision that we're talking about now is really about what labels owe to the publishers that is what the artists owe to the songwriters mm-hmm. and that rate had been Locked at a basically single-digit cents per track for mm-hmm. many, many, many decades, and then right. over a period of time, it increased to about nine cents per track, and that's where it was until recently. It's actually, technically, where it is still today, mm-hmm. um, for reasons we'll talk about in a second. But the um, the about fifteen years ago, the there was actually litigation where the publishers litigated with the record labels to figure out what the rates. Should be and after the litigation was done, the Copyright Royalty Board at that time essentially pushed the old rates forward, so nine point one cents per track.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And since that time, there have been a couple proceedings. Since that time, the major publishers and 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 the. Um, and the major record companies settled the case. They said, "Look, basically, the judgment was: you know, if the rates are going to be set by judges, and if the judges are inclined to push these rates forward, it's not worth litigating, especially if the um, you know physical and downloads. Again, that's what we're talking about now. As a percentage of the of the overall market is going down." in real dollars, and if you're talking about CDs and going down as a percentage of total industry revenue, if you're talking about the sort of whole category, the real action is in streaming. That's where the energy should be focused. Better just to settle this part of the case and move on. Right. So, all right, so that's the current proceeding. It's called Phono 4, Phono Records 4. That's mm-hmm. the sort of shorthand. So it was announced at the beginning of 2021 Almost immediately after that case started, the NMPA representing publishers and the three major record labels announced a settlement. And the settlement was that they were gonna push forward the rates. So the way the the process works, if the parties to a proceeding agree to settle the rates, they say, we don't wanna litigate, we just wanna settle the rates, then the Copyright Royalty Board publishes those rates for comment um, gives other participants a chance to object, and then normally would just adopt those rates as the final rates. What happened here was after the rates were published for comment, because uh, the, the rates you know, basically were pushing forward the old rates, or because the settlement was pushing forward the old rates, a number of observers and commenters, and one of the participants, a person named George Johnson, a songwriter named George Johnson, objected and and complained and started an effort to have the Copyright Royalty Board basically throw out the settlement. And it became labeled the frozen mechanical settlement.
2: (laughs) <laughs> and,
1: you right, which is very clever, an amazing sort of, um, honestly, amazing messaging campaign. There were tons of comments filed sort of criticizing the settlement, saying it was inappropriate for the rates to just be pushed forward, especially given things like the growth of vinyl. Right. And so almost a year later, after the settlement was filed, the Copyright Royalty Board basically said, look, taking account of all these comments, we agree. It is inappropriate, it's unreasonable just to have the, um, the, the, the rates pushed forward. And so they withdrew the settlement, essentially sent the parties back to the drawing board. So again, the way that these proceedings work, they're litigation, they're trials, right? And so you've got parties. And so the National Music Publishers Association, the NSAI, Nashville Songwriters Association, the three major record companies were looking at this and saying, okay, what do we do? Do we go to trial or do we try to reach a settlement? So a month later, they reached a new settlement and this is what you were alluding to at the beginning or talking about at the beginning. In the new settlement, they proposed two things. One, an immediate increase in the per track rate, the per track mechanical from 9.1 cents to 12 cents per track. And then two, they proposed having the rates adjust by the inflation year mm-hmm. over year.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And so that settlement was published for comment by the Copyright Royalty Board in June, and people had a chance to file objections and comments to that new settlement. So that's where we are right. today and so right now that thing is sitting there waiting for the the judges have all the comments in hand and everyone's waiting for the them to
0: to decide exactly so now the reason i wanted to have you come and help us understand this today is because i think we need to just take a pause here so that people really understand what you know what does this mean what how how do mechanicals actually get paid out and what does it look like? So I'm just gonna use an example from my life. I used to run a record label called Kill Stars. So um, we would pay mechanicals, it was 9.1 cents per song. The industry often does little standard ways of doing things. So the industry standard is that it's generally capped, mechanicals are generally capped at 10 songs per album. So even if you have 14 songs on your album, we will, the label only pays on 10 songs. So let's say every album I put out was 10 songs, except the double albums, which were 20 songs. So we're paying, you know, uh, 91 cents per album sold for a single album and $1.82 for a double album. And this money gets paid directly to the publisher or to the artist who, if they're their own publisher, their song, the songwriter, if they're their own publisher. And then that comes right off the top of every record that I sell. And this is, we're still talking about physical formats and downloads. So the reason that I want people to understand this is because it's it's a real cost for record labels, right? This is a, a true cost. You know, the cost of making a record, you know, you pay for the recording. You may pay in advance to the band. You pay for promotion and marketing. You pay for pressing the records, you know, creating the artwork. Um, you, know, you have all these real costs that go into it. And then off the top of every record you sell, you're giving approximately a dollar 91 cents per record to the songwriter, which is totally awesome. Like songwriters should absolutely get paid for what they do. I just want people to understand that this is a real cost and what has now happened is that there's this increase from 9.1 cents to 12 cents per song. And so this is going to create a situation mainly for the record labels that still press a lot of vinyl and do physical, which is largely the independent labels, although, of course, the majors have stepped into that arena recently. It's going to truly increase, uh, it's going to increase the costs, the real costs of making records. And it may indeed have some impact on the consumer down the line because, you know, distributors may have to charge more. Record labels may charge distributors more based on this increase. So. I just, I wanted everybody to understand that there's, you know, there's real consequences to these things, even though they're ultimately excellent for songwriters and publishers.
1: Thank you for that, no, and that's, um, that, that's exactly right. And you know, this is, in, so after the second settlement was published, um, HYM, the um, American Association of Independent Music, actually filed comments you know, saying exactly, you know, what you sort of outlined, that this was, um, you know, one, they, they too wanted to see an increase in the royalties for, um, for songwriters, but then, you know, they raised a couple of important questions. One was, um, first of all, does an inflation adjustment actually make sense, you know, when you're talking about physical products um, and downloads as well, you know, the price of CDs has actually fallen over the past 15 years, and downloads, the actual price, you know, the real price has been essentially set the same for the past 15 years, but in real terms has fallen, given inflation. Meanwhile, vinyl is actually, the price has gone up, greater than mm-hmm. the rate of inflation, you know? And so you have this situation where, like, a, where, where a, a, the sort of penny rate, right, the specific rate per track, is a little out of sync. It was a lot out of sync with the marketplace. Rather, sorry, the inflation is sort of out of sync with the way that the, these, these um, formats are working. So that's one question to ask. The other is whether the penny rate makes sense at all, right? right, because wouldn't it be better to have a percentage of revenue model, one that actually floats with the actual sort of market price that that labels are able to get for these new products. You know, I think the consequence of this sort of like one size fits all rate could put formats in significant danger. The other thing that's interesting and worth sort of, you know, and this isn't really about the CRB itself, but it's because they don't have the power to change what I'm about to describe. But one of the ways that the United States is so different than the rest of the world is the fact that it's labels that are paying these mechanical royalties directly. Mm-hmm. That you have this system where it's like split up among. You know, it's this very inefficient system where every single label has to maintain their own system for 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 managing these mechanical royalties. And in most parts of the world, basically everywhere else, it's all handled centrally. And we don't really have that in the United States. And the another thing that's you know raised in the comments is whether that should be you know, reconsidered here, right? You know, and, and that would be a big change in how things w- work in the United States, but it would bring things into line with the rest of the world.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that, how that's handled centrally? Because that is, I mean, you know, there's always differences between the U.S. music industry and the, and the rest of the world, and we've talked about them ad, ad nauseum on this program. But, yeah. you know, it, it it is really interesting to me that this is one of those things where, the burden and the onus of this mechanical cost is placed on the record labels. So, can you just explain to us how that's different elsewhere?
1: I'll just use a, I mean, a, a pretty good example is in Canada, where you have CMRA. You know, they there the labels are the you know they're they're responsible for paying the mechanicals, but they pay them all into CMRA. It's a single body that handles the administration. Hmm. Uh, you know, same thing in you know the UK with. PRS, And so the the idea is that you create this central place, a central body that would be, you know, responsible for keeping track of who owns what, which writers were on which, you know, which songs, how does the money sort of get divided up? And as we see in the news, catalogs are changing hands all the time. Oh, yeah. So it's, and in the United States, we have this funny situation, right, where the labels are paying the publishers for, the, for the, the the sort of traditional mechanicals. But then in 2018, like your listeners probably know, the Congress created a different regime for streaming.
0: Mm-hmm, right. Where
1: streaming platforms do have a central body. It's called the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Yes. And, you know, and, and they can pay into that. And so now, if we're talking about the streaming mechanicals, those like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, they just send all of their money and all their data to the Mechanical Licensing Collective. And the Mechanical Licensing Collective then makes sure that those royalties are paid out. So you don't have that on the label side. And I think there are you know good reasons and good historical reasons that the, the, the sort of practice wasn't changed for the labels back in 2018. But it's an interesting question that's worth taking up again, you know, about whether maybe that should change. You Absol- know whether practice should change. Absolutely. You know, it's very again, you just have this situation where every single record label has to have their own process for managing and paying out this these royalties.
0: And it's really, I mean, speaking from the label side, it is really difficult sometimes to find the correct publisher, the correct person who's who holds the rights. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, as everyone knows, there's been this like feeding frenzy in, you know, rights recently with also, you know, companies coming in and buying up all sorts of copyright. But, you know, even if it's just one song on one record, I mean, you know, a, a label like mine, we had, I think, seven or eight compilation records. So that's like 24 songs, you know, by different artists. And, you know, you put it out 30 years ago, the artist changes their publisher doesn't tell you you know it becomes i mean it's like it's it's a very difficult and time consuming game to play of of trying to find the the right people to pay and it is you know it's exciting I've, I've found it exciting in the marketplace to have Sound Exchange come in first and now the MLC, you know, I love these ideas of these central bodies that are, it's their job <laughs> to find people. And it's also artists and songwriters job to make sure that they're findable. You know, I think that can't be said enough.
1: 100%. And it is really funny. I mean, you know, and, and, and I think, and Sound Exchange is such a great model for this, you know, where if if you're gonna have a situation where the price is set, right, by the government, and so there's not any real negotiation of what the price is, then what you really need to have is like a streamlined process to collect the money and then pay it out accurately, right? And then with the old, what's really the current mechanical royalties situation for labels and the old situation for the streaming platforms, you have the government setting the price So songwriters, right, didn't have the ability to say, I want to charge this for my song. It was the same price for everyone. But then there is no central body to collect and pay the money out.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: you you know, I agree with you that it's the responsibility of songwriters to make sure that people know how to find them. On the other hand, you know, the the some of these the royalty streams can be re- seem relatively small, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe not worth the effort, and so you end up with this situation where, for could be perfectly rational for some songwriters to say, look, it's just not worth my time to sort of sort this out, you know. So, if but if you centralize these processes and if you have bodies whose mission it is to like get these people into the system, which again is like the sound exchange story, the MLC story today, you know, that helps address that problem of how to make sure every creator is able to participate in these royalty streams.
0: Absolutely. Well, Colin Rushing, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What.
1: Thank you, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
0: You're listening to The Future of What. Follow us on all platforms at MusicBizAssoc, A-S-S-O-C, to find out more about MusicBiz and hear about what's coming up next. My guest today is Danielle Aguirre. She is the EVP and General Counsel of the National Music Publishers Association, or NMPA. Danielle, welcome to The Future of What?
2: Thanks so much, Portia. How are you doing?
0: I am good. Nice to talk to you. You too. So today, here on The Future of What, we're doing a series about the rate increases announced in mechanical royalties rates by the CRB or the intended rate increases. And I wanted to talk to you because there are sort of two different things going on here. There's the rate increase for physical and downloads. And then there's this other rate increase for streaming mechanical royalties. And I thought you'd be a great person to help us understand how did this where are we with the mechanical streaming royalties and and why is it that we're just talking about this now when this is a conversation that started some years ago?
2: Oh, absolutely, and and it is a little confusing, so I will try to make it as clear as possible. Um, We're actually talking about royalty rates that are being set in two different proceedings. And so you're right, these are mechanical royalties, uh, which are the reproduction and distribution of musical works, and it's a compulsory license that allows you to use those works. And so these rates are set before what's called the Copyright Royalty Board, which is a three-judge board that sits where I'm located here in Washington, D.C. And so they set rates once every five years for a five-year period going forward. Phono Records three, which is what we call the proceeding that set the rates for the period 2018 to 2022, which of course we're in this year. That proceeding started way back in 2016 and it set rates. We went to a trial for interactive streaming and we actually had an outcome we really liked. It was an increase in rates across the board for music publishers and songwriters. We were really happy with the outcome. Uh, the digital services were uh, less happy, and they appealed the ruling. And so you have Phono Records 3, which had a decision and then went to appeal to a federal appellate court. And we wound up litigating the appeal over the last uh, four years. So it was up at the appellate court, and then it went back down to the Copyright Royalty Board. It was remanded by the appellate court back to the Copyright Royalty Board. And the Copyright Royalty Board just came out with an initial ruling on July 1st of this year that split the baby in in a little bit in terms of giving music publishers and songwriters what I would say is most important to us, which was it upheld the 15.1% headline royalty rate, which was the increase that we had won in Phono Records III initially. And that was a really big deal because that increase means real increases in revenue for music publishers and songwriters. And and so that increase is what we're talking about when we talk about interactive streaming and the recent decision by the Copyright Royalty Board. Then, of course, we are in 2022, so it took years to reach this point in the appeal and the remand. We are almost done with the rate period for Phono Records III, and a lot of the changes to the royalties that will be made will be made retroactively, meaning the digital services like Spotify and Pandora, Apple, Google, Amazon, they will have to when this decision becomes effective, which it's not effective yet, but when it does, they will have to go back all the way back to 2018, and they will have to adjust the royalties that they paid to music publishers and writers, in many instances, paying more in order to account for the fact that that 15.1% increase was upheld. At the same time, we of course, have another five-year rate period coming up. And that new rate period starts on January 1, 2023, which is just a few months away, and it runs until the end of 2027. In order to set rates, both for interactive streaming and for physical products like CDs and digital downloads, we had to start a proceeding called Phono Records 4 back in 2021. And so for almost two years now, we have been litigating the appeal and remand of Phono Records 3, and at the same time, litigating Phono Records 4 to set rates for the next period. What you're talking about with respect to the rate increase in physical and digital downloads, I believe we, in an attempt, because obviously this is a lot of litigation, it's costly and time consuming, an attempt to be as efficient as possible, to ensure that we could focus on interactive streaming, which really is the area of mechanical rights that is growing very rapidly. Revenue is increasing. Um, I think we're seeing right now revenue even year over year increasing at about 13%. We entered a settlement with the record labels for physical product and digital downloads, which are two areas which, um, while they've had little bumps over the last year or so, are generally on a pretty consistent decline with respect to revenue as people move away from those formats. And so Um, the most recent settlement that we proposed to the Copyright Royalty Board would increase the rates for physical product and digital downloads from 9.1 cents per download or per track on a CD to 12 cents. And so that, again, even though it's a declining market, would be an increase in royalties paid to music publishers and songwriters. We are waiting to see what what the court does. They have not they're still, they still have the settlement, they've sought public comment on it, and we are waiting for them to hopefully approve it.
0: Awesome, thank you so much for explaining that very clearly. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting about the physical and digital download increase is that for the first time, the CRB has tied increases, future increases to the consumer product index, the consumer- Yes.
2: Yeah. Which is consumer price index, consumer, yes, the CPI. Consumer
0: price index, thank you. Which is weird because that means that costs can continue to rise. So it's it's sort of like a. I mean, it's great. It's always great for songwriters and publishers, you know. And and I think that sometimes people on different sides of the story try to pit parts of the industry against each other. But from my perspective, you know, the industry as a whole is a holistic ecosystem where we all you know, rise and fall together, largely. So we're, we're very happy that songwriters and publishers are getting paid more, but there are implications for the ecosystem. So it is kind of interesting to imagine as we go forward with this, you know, rising consumer price index and and rising costs for mechanical royalties each year, you know, I, I can see the different constituents, labels, retailers, uh, you know, on the physical side and, and the DSPs, obviously, since they've been, heavily engaged in litigation, you know, complaining about this in the future.
2: Yes. Well, first of all, I just want to just to clarify, it is the first time that we have had a CPI index applied to Section 115 by the judges. However, they've done it before. Uh, there is precedent for doing it. Um, they've done it in proceedings that relate to sound recordings. And actually, the, the language that we took for the CPI uh, adjustment comes from what they did in the sound recording proceedings that they've done in the past. And also we, while we didn't have it initially in our settlement with the record labels for physical and digital product, in the piece of this Phono 4 proceeding that we're litigating, we had proposed it initially in our interactive streaming case. And so I think there was some precedent for it. I I think, you know, I, I have to give Credit, there were a lot of songwriters and publishers who spoke up and said, we really think that this is a fair way to address this, to ensure that there's an indexing to the to consumer pricing, especially these days when um, inflation is so high. They're right. Uh, we went back and we adjusted the settlement and included it. And so hopefully the judges see that and, and approve it. But you're also correct. There are people who are Concerned, I think we've heard from independent record labels who have said, you know, the uncertainty of not knowing how much they have to pay, the fact that those prices could go up, could impact them as well, right? And so it's a balancing act. We are trying to ensure that music publishers and songwriters are being paid what is fair for the use of their musical works, but at the same time acknowledging that, you can't have this increase so much that you very negatively impact independent record companies either, right? We we want we want a balance that ensures that everyone thrives in this environment.
0: Absolutely, no. It's definitely it's definitely interesting, especially with the you know the obvious increase in streaming income for the industry year over year. But then, of course, we assume that the the streaming companies, the DSPs, are going to you know they haven't raised their rates in years you know it's it's a very interesting when you look at the marketplace it's kind of interesting you know because they're going to say well now you guys are demanding a bigger piece of the pie which we get which is staying the same size because we haven't increased our prices
2: right i mean and on that side however i would tell you with respect to the streaming companies uh, i don't think that there's anyone on our side that that believes they shouldn't be increasing prices at least moderately again you know you you want to look to the consumer but these services have uh, increased what they're offering you know consumers they've they've given high definition audio they've provided additional types of functionality but in all of the years they have not increased pricing at all to account for all of the additional functionality and product that they're making available under the same subscription. And I mean, I would say, I think it's time. It's it, it's time for adjustments to take into account those changes. And even with that, I, I still think music publishers and songwriters deserve more, deserve more, you know, in terms of what they're getting from digital services for the use of their musical works. So much of what these companies do is driven by the music they're making available whether it's also podcasts whether it's Amazon with you know other kinds of bundles whether you know they're holding out music as this enticement to come into a larger product that they're that they're offering consumers and there's a value to that, and that value has to be acknowledged. It's, it's the value of the music itself. It's also the value of what the music is doing to their ecosystem in making it more valuable as a whole.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's, and, you know, that's just something that's plagued our industry since the beginning of, of the digital revolution. I mean, you and I both lived through, you know, everybody suddenly saying music should be free. And it's like, whoa, hey, guys, how do you think music gets made? It's not free to make it.
2: No, absolutely not. Free to make it, and the people who make it and are creators—they need to live, right? I mean, in order to keep creating the things that we love, right? And and so we need to ensure that they're getting paid, um, and that they can keep doing this. And and so, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. And I think we've moved away from this concept that music is free a little bit, right? I mean, at the NMPA, we still see companies who, you know, we have to talk to all of the time from an enforcement perspective to say, hey guys, you have to license that music. And so we're we're not done with this, but I do think that we're moving a little bit away from that pervasive concept where it's like music's free, we can download it from anywhere and we should be able to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, definitely. I mean, that was a really weird moment. But I think that moment is is mostly behind us. I know you, you're right that people still have a little bit. But I mean, there was, you know, there was a, a moment where literally everyone you met on the street would just be like, wait, music's free, right? I'm like, I'm sorry, is gas free? Are apples exactly. free? <laughs> like, n- nothing is free. <laughs> yes. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's it's
2: exactly right. I do think there's, there's a, there's a small, like five year generation in there that, that still maybe thinks, you know, they grew up and they're like, but, but it should be free, right? I mean, it was in in the critical years where they were developing and, and gaining access to music. It was, it was free until, you know, NMPA and others had to step in and say, this has to stop. (laughs) And, and, but I think for the most part, people have acknowledged, you know, just like you subscribe to Netflix for your movies or Hulu for your shows or, you you, you you have a subscription for your music, and you're getting more music. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, when I was 15, you know, you had to go and buy CD by CD, you know, when you really wanted to commit your babysitting money or your allowance, <laughs> yep. and now it's like for that same price, my kids can access millions and Everything. millions of songs. Yeah. It's incredible.
0: It is incredible. It's It's a different world. Well, Daniela Aguirre from the NMPA, thank you so much for joining me today on the future of what? Anytime, thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Our theme song is Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five and is played by Permission. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Today's show was engineered by Misuzu Ainaga and Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and was produced by Dana Rogers and Henrik Bick. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next time.
1: Can I have a taste of your ice cream?